0: Identity in Christ means that you're gospel-centered, that it's all about the gospel. Identity in Christ means that you are marked by grace. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. Now, what I mean by that is, if you are gospel-centered, you don't choose to be marked by grace. You are marked by grace. So what I'm trying to encourage you folks to do is that actually if I claim the name of Jesus, if I claim the gospel, if I see that the gospel has changed me and if Jesus is the king of my, my life, I have to live in obedience to the words of the Father as he proclaims them. And that's what God was saying to Israel in Exodus 19. He was saying, I have done this for you, so therefore live in response of my word. I have shown to you how much I love you. Therefore, obey my covenants, Obey my word. Live the way that I have called you and shown you and saved you to live. And what I want us to look at is how does having our identity in the gospel and that pouring out to live in a life which is marked by grace and everything that we've spoken about before give us the bedrock and the foundation for mission. So we have our identity that gives us our purpose as human beings and as the people of God. And how do we function? So the function and purpose are actually come together. Our identity determines our purpose and our function of God, as God's people. Turning your Bibles to Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. We see three things here. A guy called Chris Wright wrote a book, very, very interesting, if you can get hold of it. I forget what it's called, but it was very interesting by a guy called Chris Wright. I think it's God's mission. And he unpacks this verse in three ways. He says we see past grace of God, we see the present grace, and we see the future grace in this verse. So the past grace of God from this verse is, sorry, the past grace of God from this verse is, you yourselves have seen what I did as I brought you out of Egypt on an eagle's wings. That's the same for us. You yourselves have seen what I have done in the gospel for you. All right, past grace. Present grace is that they become, they are a chosen people. They are God's treasured possession among all peoples. Present grace. We are, present grace, a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then we see a future grace. So God draws a people to himself to display his glory to and to display his glory through. God's purpose was not just for Israel. God's purpose was for the world. He says, You are among all peoples, all the, sorry, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And in that we see a future grace. That the reason why God brings Israel out of Egypt is because he's made promises to their forefather Abraham that through the seed of Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. And God displays wonderful grace. Gives them wonderful grace and says that you are going to be show grace and declare grace to because all the world is mine. You're special amongst all these people, but my heart is for all these people. So as these, these churches, um, during the time when one Peter writes to them, they're being ostracised, they're being pushed out to the margins, they're not feeling, uh, they're not being treated the way maybe they felt that they. ...should be treated because they are Christians... ...because they are gospel-centered... ...because they're displaying lives which are counterculture and marked by grace... ...and they're being pushed further and further away. The reason why Peter doesn't say to them... ...right, okay, have a holy huddle... ...let's all move together and have a commune somewhere else... ...the reason he says you need to live as God's people... ...gospel-centered, marked by these things. Why? Because you are a chosen people, a royal priest of the holy nation... ...that you may declare the praises of him... ...who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why. The reason reason why Israel were called to live as God's people was for the sake of those that weren't part of God's people. The reason why Peter doesn't say to the churches, okay, this is what we're going to do, shut up shop or run away, is because you need to live with your foundation and your identity on the gospel in the midst of this hostile world for the sake of those people that are making this world hostile. So our purpose and our function pours out of our identity for Christ. Why? Because God's purpose is to draw a people to himself to display his glory Too. See, I want all of us in the midst of finding our identity in Jesus is to live in such a way that those that don't know him see and hear the gospel and therefore want a piece of it. Has anyone ever seen the film *Bobby* about Bobby Kennedy? Anybody ever seen that? Right, Bobby Kennedy. For those who don't know, was the brother of J.F. J.F. Kennedy. J.F. got killed. We all know that. But his brother also, Bobby, got killed. And I think he was just about to stand to to go to become the president of the United States. Now, there's a film about it called *Bobby*. And basically, what what the film is about a, a lots of different people who were sort of in the hotel at the time when Bobby Kennedy got shot. And there's this one guy who's a Mexican guy who's working in the kitchens, who's got a job. And he's there and he's moaning about everything. His name was Manuel. Moaning about everything, kicking off about everything. Not happy with his situation, not happy with the hours that he has to work, not happy with his pay, not happy about anything. And within the kitchen, because during that time, I think it was in the 60s, most of the people that worked in the kitchen were either black Afro-Caribbeans or Mexicans. So there was a bit of a race sort of issue going on, not only amongst each other, but also to the, to the white folks that were, were, were employing them. And they sat down in the canteen having some food, and the head chef was a black guy, and he'd been there for many, many years working in the, in the, in the hotel. And he's there, and he's chatting away, and this Manuel, this young Mexican lad, is giving it loads, giving it loads. And he starts saying on that we're like the, the Mexicans of the new slaves in America, and he's going on like he's moaning. And the guy, the black guy who was the chef who'd who'd been there for many, many years and understood what it was to to live in the midst of that difficult situation in America with with the racism that was going on, he turns to Manuel. He says, The problem with you, Manuel, is you've got no soul. You've got no poetry. The problem with you, Manuel, is people don't look at you and say, Look at that guy, Manuel. Look at the way he lives. Look at the way he talks. Look at his soul. Look at his poetry. No one looks at you, Manuel, and says, Damn, I want a bit of what he's got. Do people say that of you? Do people say that of your church community? Do people say that of your Christian community that you're engaged in, maybe in your university or work? Do they? The people look at the way that you live with each other and go, man, I want something like they've got? There's just something about the way these people live. I would put money on it, right? Even though, we heard from Shane before, I would put money on it in the context where Shane lives. There are folks that maybe initially would look and give all the abuse, but deep down look at him and go, man, I want something that he's got. I want something that they've got. And that was the intention. Why? Who, what, who Who? was it? What was it that they had? They had Christ. And they have the gospel. And they have a firm foundation and identity. See, our purpose and our function as being the people of God is to be on mission. Evangelism is not something that we do in a week or in a period or, or, or a time in the week. Evangelism and being a witness for the glory of God being a people who who proclaim the excellencies of God in the way that we live with each other and the way we live in this community that called us out of darkness into light do we get that? do we understand? we have been called from darkness into light therefore we who are in the light who are of the light need to live in such a way that shines that light on, that dar- on the darkness that we live in we, that, that's more than just doing a mission week once a week people isn't it? It's more than turning up or doing something. It is a change in the way that we live in response to the wonder of the gospel and who we are in Christ that should change everything. So every area of our lives becomes a mission opportunity. Every area. You know, the, the danger for me as a, as a pastor of a church is that I think that I, I, you know, I'm the guy that's doing all the mission. And I'm, you know, the danger is I could sit in my office all day, every day, preparing. To speak to Christians on Sunday That's not a great example Could be We have a responsibility To declare the excellencies of God To those Who do not Know him That's our purpose That's our function So if your identity is truly in the gospel You will live lives that are marked by grace And you will be people who Are on mission Don't put your hands up But answer it in your own heart. Which non-Christian person or people are you praying for? Answer it in your own heart. When was the last non-Christian person that you intentionally pursued for the cause of the gospel? When was the last gospel conversation that you had with somebody that didn't know Jesus? I'm going to confess something I had lunch on my own don't feel sorry for me, it's nice sometimes in TFI Fridays is that what it's called, TFI Fridays and um, I sat there and the girl come up and she served me and obviously felt a little bit sorry for me because I was sitting on my own having my dinner I always tell my wife that because she can't cope with that you know we go for a restaurant and we see someone on their own or you go to the cinema and they could walk in on their own and she's like, oh look at them so I always let her know because I know she'll be you know, feeling, feeling for me but the girl came up to me afterwards and, you know, she's taking, a, taking the money to pay the bill. And she goes, so what are you doing for the rest of the day? Do you want to know what I said? I'm just doing something with a group of people back end, at the back end of Escape. That's what I said. And she went, oh, that's great. She didn't ask me any more questions. I was glad of that. All right. And then I walked down and I thought, I'm going to stand on the stage and tell these people that we need to take every opportunity to share the gospel. I could have said, I'm telling a gang of young people about Jesus. Do you want to know about him? And I didn't. I didn't. See, our purpose. That girl may never hear the gospel. She may never hear the gospel. And that was the opportunity for me to share something with her. And I walked away. Now, we can all say that, can't we? There's countless opportunities for that. Because in that moment... I was ashamed of my identity being in Christ. I was, because I was fearful of what some girl, who was probably a student, young girl, who was just doing a job, who actually moments before was singing some crazy happy birthday songs to a load of people, which was more embarrassing than, than me saying I'm teaching the Bible. But I was ashamed of my identity in Jesus that stumped my opportunity to share the gospel with this girl. Now that story can be just retold and retold with all of us, can't it? You know what I mean? We all do that. We're all fearful of it. But the reality is this. Our identity in Christ determines our purpose and it determines our function, which is to declare the excellencies of God to those people who are in darkness. Why? So that they can come and enjoy and be part of the kingdom of God just like us. Just like us see I want us to just look briefly at a couple of things a couple of things here that Peter sort of points out in the midst of these people living in a hostile situation where they're being ostracized a few things that would really help them be on mission now hear me when I say this nowhere am I going to say do an evangelistic event they're good things to do and we should do them but let's not make them the primary vehicle for mission nowhere am I going to say a Christianity Explore course, or a Will We All one course, or an Alpha course, whatever one you choose to do. Now, they're good things to do, and we need to do them. Because we have a greater opportunity just by living for mission outside of those things. Those things should underpin living as God's people in our communities. You with me? Okay, first one, chapter 2, verse, tw- um, verse 12. Let's read down. This is Peter talking to the church. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There are two things that Peter's assuming here when he's talking to the church. Two things. One, people are going to speak evil of you. Uh, People are going to speak of you as evildoers. That's an assumption. That's a given. But people will also see your good deeds. Right, I'm not going to preach a gospel of being good here because the reality is none of us are good only God is good but I want to to show what Peter says you as God's people in the midst of this difficult environment are living lives that display goodness are living lives that are caring for other people that are living lives so in your street, in your halls, in your school you will always be the one when there is a need seeking to meet that need because that's what we do You will always be the one that is seeking to care for those who are broken or having difficulty. And even though folks around might think, Man, do you believe that they're Christians and what they believe? They can't question and speak against the good things that you do. And then when the conversation comes, do you want to know why I do that? Why do you do all this good stuff? Let me tell you about the one who is good and what he did for me and what he did for you. It's simplistic, but that's the issue. Are you known for being good? Are you? Or are you known as the gossip, ladies? Because that's where it usually tends to happen. Fellas, are you known as being good? Or are you known as the narc in the football team that's always getting the yellow card? That was me, all right? The yellow card. Seriously, we laugh at that. But that makes a massive difference in the way that we conduct ourselves. Are we generous with our money? I'm not talking about, look, I'm writing a check to help these people out, but are we anyway? Are we the ones that are always willing to to give up something or open our homes or give lifts or just, just, we could be here all night looking at things. Are we those people? Are we living in such a way that displays the goodness of God through our generosity? That shines out his generosity for us in light of what Christ did for us on the cross. Because Peter says to the church and he says to us, people may speak evil of you, but they will not speak evil of your good deeds. And hear this, they will glorify God for that on the day of visitation when Jesus comes again. They will glorify God because of your good deeds that are done in his name. That's mission. That is mission. My wife texted me before. Like, I'm looking forward to going home. Not that I want to leave you guys, but I am. It's Saturday night, you know what I mean? Chippy night, it's the law. Right, okay? It's two... I'm looking forward to going home, right? My wife texts me. She's got a friend called Nikki, who's not a Christian, wants to read the Bible with Sean, and she's round, they're doing stuff with the kids today. She texts me, um, Nikki said about going for a drink tonight. You know, the two of them, Sean and Nikki, going for a drink tonight. Um, you would be all right looking after the kids. Guess what my reaction was? Nish oh, any chance. You know what I mean? Saturday night, I want a chippy, I want a beer, I want to relax. Maybe not a beer, because I'm preaching in the morning. But you, you understand, you know, just to relax... Yeah, yeah. Are you with me? Now, Nikki wants to read the Bible. Nikki knows, wants to know more about Jesus. And the reason why Nikki and Sean are friends is because Nikki can't get over all the stuff that my wife does for other people. And she does. I can big up my own wife, can't I? Am I allowed to do that? All right, okay. What she does, my wife's wonderful. And I thank God. You know, I bat above my average in every area. And she's a good, she, she's just wonderful. She's baking cakes and she's helping people. And, she, and Nikki's like intrigued that my wife does these things. And it is that. That has caused her to ask questions about Jesus and about the church and about anything that comes in that. And when I re- you know, I, I, I thought, I was like, not a problem, love. You you go and have a drink. You go and have a chat and I'll be praying for her when she's there. Are you with me? So it's the way that Sean has lived that has drawn in it. And God is glorified in that. And God will be glorified in that when Jesus returns through our good deeds. That is mission. And it's not an issue of let's care for people. You can care for people all the way to hell if you don't tell them about Jesus. It's not about preach the gospel and if necessary use words. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that actually what we proclaim should roll out of what we practice. And what we practice should roll out of what we proclaim. So to be on mission is to be people. I'm assuming that we're people who do good deeds. Next one. Chapter 3 verse 13 to 14. I've only got two more points and then we can finish because it's been a long day. There's Peter talking to a people who are being ostracized. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter has shared with them where their identity is in the gospel. They are chosen people. What Christ has done for them. He said live in light of that in the way that you are. And we've shared live as people who are marked by grace. Because what Christ has done for us. At the end of the book it says that he is going to confirm, restore, establish you. And he says listen do not fear them or be troubled i was fearful of a young 20 year old girl and what she thought of me when i have the greatest news that you will ever hear it's ridiculous isn't it when you think about it we have nothing to fear in mission we shouldn't have anything to fear in mission you know we 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 say we love folk we pray for folk in our small groups i'm sure but if they're amongst us, we're fearful to talk about Jesus. We have gospel communities in our churches, and, and the reason why I call it, we call them gospel communities is there are communities that are shaped by the gospel. And we have non-Christian people that are engaged in that. We eat together, we spend time together, we do a lot of stuff together. Similar to what Shane was saying, we spend... Most of the time, we don't do 24-7, we do uh, 17-7, because 24-7 mean that I'll be in the same bed, and that's just creepy, right, okay, so 17-7, you know, we do stuff together in that, in those contexts, as much as we can, but because we are about the gospel, when non-Christian people are with us, we talk about the gospel, if people come and we're doing a Bible study and we might be looking at something that, you know, that would be completely alien. We still continue to do that and work hard to try and unpack what we're talking about. We don't go, oh, Ted, there's a non-Christian here. Let's, um, let's play video games and then they'll think they're cool and then we might just mention Jesus. Are you with me? We have nothing to fear. What we have is something wonderful. People can abuse us, ostracize us. But Christ is going to restore and establish us. We stand spotless and pardoned before the King of Kings because of what he's done, before our Father God because of what Jesus has done. We have have nothing to fear when it comes to mission. And the next one, which I think, which rebukes rebukes me even if I look, I don't even want to look, always be prepared to make a defense for the reason of the hope that is in you. That girl didn't even see any hope in me. She just saw me swallow down a cheer batter and some chips. But she asked me about what I was doing with my life. I didn't tell her. Now, are the people in your community, in your school, in your university, in your workplace that observe you living, hear me, as a people with other Christian people and they see... Not you running around the office with a hop, skip and a jump and happy, happy, joy, joy all the time, time, time. But there's something about your life and the way that you live that resonates a hope and a joy. And they're like, you know, in the midst of this recession and everybody's having job cuts and you can't get a job. How, how come you and the, the people that you're in church with seem to be, have a bit more hope than me? What is it? Make a defense. The way you, you you and your wife have really grown to love each other more in the midst of losing that child, what is it? be ready to give it offense for the gospel? How is it that in the midst of all this difficulty and this 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 the world, our world seems to be falling apart. You, you, you keep talking about Jesus and you keep talking about having a trust in him and you keep talking about this, this load of cods wobble and all this sort of stuff. Let's be ready to give a defense. See, the issue is this, and I'm, what, I, what I'm getting to here, is that if people don't see you living as a Christian, they'll never ask you the question about your life. My challenge to you, my challenge to me, is how many of us are living in such a way that our non Christian friends would ask us to make a defense that the hope is within us? How many of us? How many churches do we attend? Will people go, There's something about these people? Yeah, they sing crazy songs and the fella up there talks for too long. There's something about them, I want to know more. There's something about these people, man, I want a bit off. That's what mission is. Now, let's go back to what I said at the beginning. That I believe in my lifetime. Okay, I'm 34, so by God, I'm praying that I've got you know maybe another. I don't see many fat men over 60, do you? So maybe like a, a th- another you know another 30 years. That's not a long time. When you're 20, you think it is. You know, when you're 40, you realise that it's not. I've got 30 years. Everything that we think is mission at the moment, which it is, but what we make primary could be removed. You can't tell people about Jesus in public. You can't have kids in your room and tell them and do kids stuff. You could not do this because this is a public building. And those days, I believe, could be coming. So therefore, what does it mean for us? What opportunities has God given us just where we are to do that? Can we live as a community of people that others, just in the normal things of life, are asking us the questions, what is it about the way that you live? And you can say, well, listen... My hope and my identity is in this man called Jesus. My hope and my identity is in what he's done, and who he is, and where he is now. And the reason why we live like this is because of him. Let me tell you about him. Are you with me? We say we speak a language. We don't understand the language that our culture lives by. Really. Many of us have been, well, many, a number of people in this room have been born into Christian homes. So, actually, the culture and the language you live by is not the culture and the language that the people that you're trying to live, live, reach live by. We, we, we all attend churches where people travel 20 minutes, 30 minutes to go to the church that you want to go to because it's the music that we do and the guy preaching is interesting and, 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 and I can serve there and I can be trained there and I can. Are you with me? And that's not a bad thing, but I'm saying if we were dropped into a context that we didn't know, we would do mission very differently to the way we do it now. We would see every person that we speak to, whether that's in a restaurant, me again, conviction, whether that's in a re- restaurant, or whether it's walking the dog, or wh- whatever it is, we will say, well, this person needs to know about Jesus. Why? Because your purpose and your function is rested up in your identity, which is in Christ. And you're there to tell people in Maputo about Jesus. That's the same if you come from Hull. That's the same if you come from Roampton. That's the same if you come from Liverpool. That's the same if you come from Castleford. Um, as, in, as groups of people, we don't work that out say, well, what does this mean? What does it look like? Are you with me? That actually mission is every single opportunity that we have, ordinary life with real intentionality for the glory of Christ. Okay, this is what I want you to do now. Okay, I have to check my phone for this one because I, I have to... If here... Oh, no. I just ripped the one Peter out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need a new Bible. All right, I apologize. Okay, here's another opportunity, and this is one that you can really take and do yourselves, okay? Individually, and then with a group of Christians in your church. Okay, this is another one. This is great. Think of all the activities that, you, that make up your normal day, week, and monthly routine. So your day could be meals. We all eat three times a day, don't we? Some of us, four or five. All right, okay? If you've got a dog, you walk the dog, you walk to school, you get on the bus, you get the train... You might get coffee from a certain coffee shop or, or whatever. You might drink in a certain pub. You know, daily routines. If you go going to the pub every single day, there might be another issue there. So we'll unpack that another time. Weekly routine, shopping, certain things that you watch on TV, exercise, go to the gym, whatever, okay? Monthly routine, get your hair cut, go to cinema, do a bit of gardening. I, I, I don't know what it could be. You know, lots of different things, Okay. Think of your daily, weekly, monthly and then try and tag these things next to them. Anything that you do in your daily, weekly or monthly routine that gives you an opportunity for fellowship, community with another Christian just to get to know them better, to talk about Jesus with them. First one, you know when you have your tea, why don't you invite somebody from your church over to have tea? And I'm not talking a nice meal with wine and all that, I'm just saying like pizza and chips and the kids are legging around or you know you've made meatballs or whatever chippy on your knee while watching Apprentice or something with Christians that's what I'm saying just do it because I'm telling you if you both love Jesus the conversation will roll in that way especially if you watch The Apprentice I'm telling you you with me little things like that so look at those things and tag something that you can do as community look at those things and tag opportunities that you can spend with somebody who is not a believer like going to the gym it would be great if you're the person that you go to the gym with two or three times a week is not a Christian you're running on the treadmill, what do you talk about? because if your identity is really in Christ he's going to come out somewhere in the conversation I don't know why I'm doing that, That's that's me on the treadmill and the third one What are those activities that you do daily, weekly, monthly that give you an opportunity for a conversation about Jesus? Walking the dog. I used to have a dog 13 years. We had to have him put him down about six weeks ago. Devastated I was. The amount of gospel opportunities I had. I walk my dog, right, every day in the same place with the same people. The amount of conversations I had just to talk about Jesus, just in every... Concert. They saw me going from a policeman to work for a charity to become a pastor in those 13 years. Imagine the conversations for these folk. Are you with me? That's mission, people. That's mission. And you know the wonderful thing about all those things? For them to be effective, we don't do them as individuals. We do them as you're a chosen people. You, not, you were Once you were not a people... But now you are the people. Mission, yes, some of us are evangelists. But mission is not about individualism. Mission is about doing it as a people. So when you're having those conversations and those daily routine, when you're taking those opportunities to really live out your purpose and function with your identity in Christ, you're doing it whilst people are praying for you. You're trying to introduce them into the community that you're living in Then the challenge comes, are you living in community with people who are Christians? Please. You want to see your city won for Jesus, you have to live in community. You want to see your city won for Jesus, you've got to tell people about him. Why do we engage with our neighbors in our church? Because we're told to. Because we love God. Because in a gospel-centered community that is marked by grace, people ask, People are intrigued. And yes, some do and will reject and be offended. But some see and say, I want something, some of what they've got. I want to be part of what they're part of. I want to know this Jesus, Jesus that shapes the lives of these people. Identity in Christ means you're gospel-centered. Identity in Christ means you live lives that are marked by grace and identity in christ means that you are on mission because if jesus is the king of your life people you will truly live differently